Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Welcome to Working in Yoga, friends. So this week, I have the lovely Dr. Katie Blake on the podcast. And Katie is in the yoga world. She is a yoga teacher, but also her specialty lies elsewhere. Katie actually specializes in the concept of deconstruction. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I know Katie personally, and I was still really nervous to talk to her on this podcast, partially because deconstruction is something that I really did in 2016 and 2017 when I was in the yoga space, and I didn't have any words to describe what was happening. I just knew that I wanted to unpack everything that I thought I knew about yoga and find a new way. So Katie and I have an amazing conversation about deconstruction, what that means, and we even start giving folks some steps on your deconstruction journey. If you too are trying to pick apart your belief system in the yoga space to figure out what still aligns with your morals and values and what things maybe you can set aside. So take a deep listen, friends, and make sure that you catch me on the other side because I have a funny challenge for you. Welcome to Working in Yoga, friends. Oh my gosh, this week we are going to have the best conversation with Dr. Katie Blake. And Katie, I hope it's okay if I call you Katie. Absolutely. So Katie does some really cool work around the topic of deconstruction, which I have been breadcrumbing out for y'all for the last couple weeks. So Katie, tell us about your work and what you do and who you are and all your cool stuff. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm Dr. Katie Blake. Um, I have a PhD in social psychology, so that's where the doctor comes from. And I am also a 500-hour yoga instructor. Um, Rebecca and I were just chatting about certification trainings, and I have over 600 hours of um, yoga teacher training certifications. And so I am in this world with all of you, even though I have this other area of my life that's rooted in psychology. But yeah, I've been teaching at colleges and universities for almost 15 years now, teaching psychology classes. I've been teaching yoga for, I think it's six years now, and um, have been just a student and a lover of yoga for, I mean, maybe 2003. So I don't know, we'd have to do the math there, almost 20 years, <laughs> which yeah. makes me feel really old. Um, but now I'm primarily working with women and supporting them through this process of deconstruction. 
which we'll get into today, but primarily I work with women who are asking questions about church and religion and faith. And it is just an absolute blast and a joy. And I love every minute of it. I am so excited to talk about this because as we were saying before I pressed record, I personally have gone through so much of this process in the yoga framework. There is a lot of dogma that we as yoga professionals and yoga students are fed by our teachers. And some of that is, I think, nourishing and some of it is less nourishing. So let's start first with defining some terms because you are honestly the literal person who taught me this term. Tell me what deconstruction is. Yeah, it's so interesting because this term is used really loosely in the particular kind of like community of people who are exiting faith and religion and and, um, church. But it actually comes from a French philosopher. His name is Jacques Zerida. uh, Sorry, Derrida. And um, he came up with this term of deconstruction. And um, his definition of deconstruction is essentially like dismantling excessive loyalty to particular ideas and learning to see the aspects of truth that might lie buried in the opposite of those ideas. So as you talk about yoga dogma, like this totally applies where we get taught all of these hard truths. So it's similar in church world. It's similar in religion, but it's also similar in the yoga community where these are the things that are true about yoga and our practice and our philosophy. And we get really ingrained in those ideas and inflexible. And his whole work, his whole idea as a philosopher was to encourage humans to be comfortable with doubt and to be um, comfortable with not knowing and uncertainty. And so he actually used this Greek term aporia, which means impasse or puzzlement. And he talked a lot about how it's it's something that we should be proud of to be unsure and to have this impasse and to be puzzled and to yoke together, if we want to talk about yoga, two opposites. And so it's a very like non-dual and non-binary and you know, a lot of what we talk about in yoga is non-attachment. And essentially this idea of deconstruction is totally, totally 100% non-attachment. But it's interesting how we can even approach our perspectives on yoga in this way of just being non-attached to the things that we hold as so true. And um, yeah, I loved your episode where you were talking about wanting to leave yoga and exit yoga and burn it all down. And I think, (laughs) honestly, it's a really healthy place to be. And Derrida argued that it was really a way of stepping into maturity to set aside certainty and to say, I'm not really sure. And I'm going to question these things and dismantle any kind of inherited tradition or ideas that I might have to find a place that feels more authentic or feels more healthy and yeah, mature. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And I think that, uh, tell me if you feel like this is accurate in what you've seen. For me, my deconstruction truly came from a place of love. Yoga was something that was really important to me. And it's not that I was trying to burn it down because I didn't like it anymore and I was trying to prove that it was wrong. It was that it was this thing that had been in my life that was so important for so long and had been such a benefit to me that I knew that if I was going to continue forward on my path, I had to have both feet 
firmly planted in ground that I felt was solid, that was something I believed in. Do you feel like that's a similar process? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where so many of us land with deconstruction is we've grown up in a thing or we've fallen in love with a thing and it's been a part of who we are and it's a part of our identity. And we just want to do it in the best way possible, whatever it is, whether it's religion or it's approaching a yoga practice. We just want it to be pure and authentic. And, you know, I I hate to use the word true because I love to encourage people to feel this um, sense of uncertainty and to just envelope themselves in that. But yeah, to, to feel what's authentic and what's pure and what feels right in the sense that, um, you know, you can have that love and compassion and peace uh, wrapped up in whatever your experience is. And so, yeah, so many people think that those of us who are deconstructing religion and church are just angry, an angry mob trying to burn down the thing because something happened and we're not, now we're mad. And that is valid for many of the people in the community, but there are also so many of us like myself who are wanting to approach this from a a perspective of spiritual growth or personal growth and compassion and non-dualism. So absolutely 100%, I agree with that. Yay. Like that honestly makes me, I mean, not that it's all about me, but this is my podcast. So I'm going to talk about my experiences. Like (laughs) that is really validating to feel like, because, because oftentimes when we talk about anything that's dogmatic and yoga absolutely has dogma attached to it dogma that is different i think for us in the west what we've been taught than what was um dogma that right. from, from our original source in india so how we can unravel what we were taught as westerners and again i'm going to own my privilege i'm a white female cisgender westerner what i have been taught and how I can unravel that because for, and I, and I will tell you how this started was that I was, I shop often in an Indian grocery store, a local Indian grocery store. And this has to have been, you know, seven, eight years ago. And the guy had gotten to know me, the, the owner. And he asked me one time what my job was. And I lied to him. I told him right. it was something different than teaching yoga because I was embarrassed. Right. And, and, and I thought, I mean, we, we have dogma around lying too. <laughs> and I went, right. I can't show up and be proud of what I do if I can't walk into a grocery store and be honest with the male who is from India to tell him what my job is. I have to show up in a, in a way that I'm proud of. Right. And I started yeah. to, to unravel that. And, and I think that's the that's the reality of so many of us in yoga is that we really want to show up in a way that is, as you said, authentic and true, but something that we're also proud of. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That makes me think of one of my teachers whom I, I love. I don't know if you know her, but her name is Sunita Patil and she's an excellent, I mean, just brilliant yoga instructor and Sanskrit instructor. And I've talked with her a bit about, um, that same thing that you are voicing being a white woman and loving the practice of yoga, but also feeling like, um, it's something that I should be ashamed of that. I love it, you know? And, um, she said to me, you know, that's not the point. The point is that yoga is a gift. And if it touches you, 
the whole point in the tradition of yoga is to want to continue passing on that gift. And so that gift has been given to you. So now you, you know, must go and give it to others. Um, so it's not something that you should be ashamed of, but it does inspire me to want to do it in a way that feels authentic. And like you said, that feels like something I can be proud of. So I completely resonate with that. And I think that's what undergirds deconstruction in in any possible um, way that you might be thinking through like patriarchy, or you might be thinking through church, or you might be thinking through yoga um, or academia in in my situation, where we want it to be something that is more like equitable and um, justice oriented and pure, right? And not pure in the sense of dogma and what's right and what's wrong, but pure in the sense that it's authentic and it it feels um, absolutely true to what is within you. Yeah. I, I think this is part of why a lot of what I talk about is in regards to money and business and people getting paid and teachers getting paid because I also feel like the monetary side of things, the commodification of things makes makes all of this deconstruction both more important and more complicated because it's it's right. one thing as I was saying before, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church and I spent a lot of my early childhood unraveling all this dogma that I was I was handed by the Catholic Church, but there wasn't money attached to that. Right. But, um, and and now there's also because yoga is not only my passion and my practice, but also my job. There is a commodification involved that I think makes this entire process so much more important. Right. I don't know how you feel about that, but yeah, you know, it's the same in the work that I do with women who are deconstructing church and religion. For me, I married a minister and my husband was in official full-time ministry for a long time. And that definitely makes it more complicated because if you are living and breathing this belief system and you're questioning it, that's one thing. But if your salary is tied up in it, that's another thing to be able to step out and ask questions about it. And um, so for me, my husband decided to start a small business. And so he quit ministry. And that was really the permission slip for me to start asking questions within myself and then to step forward and start asking them out loud with other people or to other people. And so sometimes I think we have to distance ourselves a little bit. Um, but I do think that you're right in making money. Uh, it makes it much more complicated and it makes it um, more entangled, but that doesn't mean that it's something that we should just toss to the side and we shouldn't continue to deconstruct the money part of yes. whether it's church or it's yoga, right? That just makes it more important to me that we need to figure this thing out and not necessarily figure it out that there's a correct answer, um, but to continue to be curious and to look for the truth and to look for what might be good and true in all perspectives. And um, I think that's honestly the crux of deconstruction as a, as a way of being. 
So before I forget, I do want to reference for all those of you listening, if you're interested in my perspective about matching what we sell with the tradition and practice of yoga, my first solo podcast, Selling Yoga, I think it's episode four or five, um, talks a lot about that because I actually have a very clear view, a view that I impart to my staff very clearly as well, that we don't sell yoga at our space. I have a studio and what we sell is experience and I am like super crazy anal about this experience, right? Like my walls look a particular way. It smells a particular way. We have a particular kind of music. Like I've created an experience for the customers who come in, but the yoga is now always has been and always will be a gift. We are not selling it. We are gifting it to our students, just like you said. Right. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Um, So let's talk about those who are listening who might be earlier in this path of deconstruction, what do you think the first steps are for somebody who's really trying to unpack and unravel their internalized belief system around, in this case, yoga? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what happens so often is that we are dismantling inherited tradition or we're dismantling individual beliefs, collective beliefs, all of that is tied up there. Um, And there is so much overlap between what we believe and our identity. And so it can be really hard to enter into, to step into this deconstruction where maybe you've been a yoga instructor for 20 years and now you're asking hard questions about the industry or about your role in it. And that becomes so much more difficult because you are by nature questioning a piece of yourself. And people forget that. We are so compartmentalized in Western society where we set our beliefs over here and we set, you know, like what we look like over here and we set like our tradition over here and where we've come from and and our bodies over here, right? And our spiritual lives over here. (laughs) And so we think that we can just ask questions about what we believe about things and that that's going to be a little nice neat box that we can set that stuff in and push it over into the corner when we want to let it go. But that's not how it works because it's a part of who we are. And so for me, I feel like the first step is really tapping into who you are, tapping into your true identity. Some of that's going to be tied up in yoga. Some of it's going to be tied up in the principles of the tradition and the philosophies of it, right? Um, So that's all good and true and great, but we have to really take the time to get to know ourselves maybe removed, like distancing ourselves, as I said, removed from maybe our jobs or our workplace, or if you own a brick and mortar and um, really getting down to who you are in your core. And um, that for me is the first step. Absolutely. So I see you nodding your head. So I'll stop there. (laughs) No, I'm I'm nodding because I so emphatically agree. I mean, especially when I speak to other studio owners, and, and we talk about self-care, my very first question for them is always, what is your hobby? Mm, and they, yeah. and they ah. like big bug eyes, right? Every single time. In fact, I was on a panel with somebody and one of the panelists was like, oh shit. <laughs> like that's what she said. And I said, look, you have like yoga is not your hobby. It can right. be your spiritual discipline. It can be your practice and also your business. And those are three different things. And it can be all those things. But like learn how to cook or weave a basket or take a hike or something that nourishes you that isn't tied up to 
yoga. Please do that. Yeah, please. absolutely. One of the things I love to talk about is incorporating play back into our lives because yes. we don't do that. And by nature, we are creative, playful beings. So there's this great researcher. You're going to want to write this down and look him up. His name is Dr. Stuart Brown, and he's literally yeah. a researcher. Oh, you know him? Yeah. Who studies yeah. play. Isn't that fascinating? Um, but yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. For me, I always try to encourage women to think about like, what did you love doing when you were a kid? Like when there was no responsibility, no expectations, and you could literally just go do something for the joy of doing it all day long. What was that? Was it playing piano? Was it painting? What was it? Was it walking? And that can be a really great way to tap into those hobbies or your identity or what brings you life. Because so many of us, we've got on the rat race and we're just, you know, running the wheel and we have no idea who we are and what makes us tick. And, um, it's so important for human flourishing to tap into that. Absolutely. I love it. Oh, oh my goodness. I just like got goosebumps. I love that so much, truly. And not just like, so my studio, we do monthly themes and our theme for August was play. So that's how I know <laughs> Dr. Uh, Stewart. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we encourage our staff and our students to play because it's just critical for. Critical. Yes. Okay, so step one is getting to know yourself more deeply on a on on a level that does not incorporate your self identity with yoga. This was something for me for so long. My number one first thing was equally I was a mom and a yoga teacher, and both right. of those things. So because I also feel like mothers deconstruct this this mothering thing as mm-hmm. as well, and it's it's all a similar process. I feel. Um, but now I can say I know who Rebecca is, like yeah. you know who Katie is, and right. we exist outside all these other jobs and roles. So what's step two? Well, can I say one more thing about that? Yes, yes. Okay, so um, I'm a social psychologist, which is studying how other people influence our thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. But my mentor, her name is Linda Acitelli, actually studied this idea of relational identity. And so we as women are more likely to root our identities and our relationships. So you spoke that just now. And and there's so many of us, right, in the yoga world who are women. So I really want to say this because I'm hoping that it touches someone. But oftentimes when we're asked, like, who are you, Katie? Like, take out a piece of paper and list 20 things that make you who you are. We will write, I am a mom, I am a daughter, I am a yoga instructor, I am a sister, all of these things that are tied up in other people and how we serve other people. Men, on the other hand, are more likely to be like, I'm a podcaster, I am a, um, I am uh, ambitious, I am smart, these adjectives, right? Instead of uh, labels of how we serve other people. And so that's something that I do often with the women that I work with is help them kind of unravel that identity that's rooted in other people. Because again, that's missing the point. That's not who you are as Rebecca. Yeah. Okay. So step number two (laughs) is so good. It's so important. Her work on relational identity is so important. So go Google that. But yeah, so step two is setting boundaries for me, setting boundaries. Absolutely. Because another thing is women in the West, we don't know how to do this, especially if you come from Christian contexts, 
we've come from fundamental religion really in general. Um, again, we're talking about that identity that's rooted in other people. We've been told that we need to be Enneagram twos and we need to just um, <laughs> sacrifice ourselves for other people, whether it's for our kids or it's for our husbands or our partners or our um, employers or our place of work, whatever it is, um, we are taught to uh, always be there and always be available and to never say no. And um, so many of us don't know how to set boundaries. And that's huge. If you're asking hard questions about your inherited tradition or your occupation or your entire worldview, it's really important to do that because it's already a confusing and really convoluted time. And you want to make sure that the voices of other people are not further muddying the waters for you because everyone is going to have expectations um, about how you engage this process of asking questions and deconstruction. And if you want to stay true and rooted in that identity, you have to start setting strong and healthy boundaries. So give us some concrete examples of how a human would go about setting those boundaries. Yeah, so um, this comes from the work of Brene Brown, whom I'm a huge fan of. Same. And I, yes, who isn't? <laughs> I think that's one thing I can always say that people will applaud. You know, I see a lot of <laughs> controversial things, but that's one thing that unites everybody, Brene Brown. <laughs> but yeah, she talks about, and this is so important, that boundaries are membranes and not walls. So we can put up fortress walls where nothing gets in, but that's not the point of boundaries. So if you think of a cell membrane, it discriminates the good things, those things get to come in. And the bad things, those things have to stay out. And so boundaries are really fluid and flexible, right? And so it's, you know, in conversation, when someone asks you like, hey, it sounds like you've changed or it seems like you've changed. What's up with that? Like, what do you really believe about this, that, or the other thing? Or why aren't you going to church? Or I noticed that this happens at the yoga studio. It is okay to say no to that conversation. It's okay for you to identify that the relationship is not strong enough for a person to ask certain questions of you. Um, I think one of the really practical things that I could give um, that are helpful in these types of conversations is just to ask someone, why are you asking me that question? Um, because you want to see what their curiosity is because maybe their curiosity comes from a loving, compassionate place. Maybe they're legitimately concerned about you or they have some kind of love for you. And it's, it's coming out in this way that feels maybe passive aggressive, or it feels um, ugly and uncomfortable. But if you can ask that question, you can do two things. You can um, let them know that they're overstepping something that, uh, makes you feel, or they're overstepping your comfort zone, but also it allows you an opportunity to see where they're coming from. Right. Um, because, uh, misunderstanding is so prevalent. It's so rampant in our relationships and, um, just communicating is so key. We're yes. so bad at communicating well. <laughs> And it's important that you said that, that you give people permission to not have the conversation if you aren't ready to have the conversation. Um, that's so important. I think oftentimes folks will listen to humans like me, and I am straight out an Enneagram 8, so I will 
tell you whatever it is that I think. Also, I will tell you how you are wrong, and then we will fight about it because that's sport for me as, right. <laughs> as an Enneagram 8. Most people don't relate to that. So when I started deconstruction, I like joined every harsh Facebook group that existed. Like <laughs> right. Like the dark net of the yoga world where everybody <laughs> was like setting it all on fire. And there were so many people who were reaching the point where they were like, I can't participate this in this anymore. And really hard conversations, but also hard places to have a conversation. You don't have yeah. to do it that way. You can find one or two humans who are also going through the process create a relationship, and then create a safe container so that you can talk with those humans and create boundaries with everybody else. And then when you're ready, if you want to, you have those conversations. I think that's, you're so, yes, thousand percent. Yeah, because some people will be safe and you don't want to create an island where you're alone. I mean, that is so crucial to being a human being, we are hardwired for connection. And um, one of the things that I see all the time and that I experienced myself in my own personal deconstruction is that it's lonely and it's isolating because you feel yes. like the only one. And so we have to remember that boundaries are those membranes. So people who feel safe and there will be those people out there, like go out and find them. Those people get to come in. And then there is this beautiful experience of affirmation and solidarity. And um, that's when I really see women come alive in their own personal deconstruction journeys is when they find other people who are similar to them. So I think that's such an excellent point. Yeah, I love that. Um, you, I actually just was speaking to somebody the other day who's she's taking an advanced teacher training right now online. And she said the best part is the breakout groups because they were really intentional with their breakout groups of, you know, people who are of a similar mindset, of a, have similar socioeconomic background, have similar skin color, are all deconstructing in their own safe containers. And, and she's just like, I mean, yeah, I'm learning the other yoga stuff, but this is really the best part is this community yeah. of people together oh. who are doing that work. Community. And that's what I think is so beautiful about stepping into the process of deconstruction in any area of your life is it's just a wonderful opportunity for growth and for authenticity and for finding your own authentic identity and spirituality or belief system, but also finding authentic community because so many of us are in communities and um, organizations where we don't belong. As Brene Brown would say, we fit in, like we go yeah. along with the you know party line or whatever, but we're unfulfilled because we don't feel like we unconditionally belong as who we truly are. And so deconstruction is honestly, it's like a ticket to that opportunity to finding whole and fulfilling and life-giving relationships and community. Yes. And I want to emphasize one thing for folks in the yoga community. And we were talking also about this is that yoga has a bit of a cannibalistic tendency, right? We tend to figure stuff out and then sell it to each other instead of creating and shifting in sustainable changing ways. So any of all any of you out there who might be on this journey yourself trying to deconstruct who you are as a yoga practitioner, who you are as a yoga teacher, a yoga professional, figure out how you can ethically run a business and teach yoga 
because it meant so much to you, you don't have to pay somebody to tell you how to do this. You don't have to pay a yoga person to tell you how to do this. Now you can pay my friend Katie here to join her very reasonably priced community because, oh my gosh, it's $9 a month, Katie. I love you. It's eight. It's eight? <laughs> it's eight dollars a month. Like, like y'all, eight dollars a month. Eight dollars <laughs> a month. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars for yet another certification to meet people who are doing the same work that you're doing. So talk to your friends who are yoga teachers, interact with people online who are also saying the same thing. Be aware when you're in a marketing funnel. Please be aware when you're in a marketing funnel when somebody has set you in there. Right. But you can create really nourishing relationships online with lots of yoga people who are doing the Mm -hmm. same work. So absolutely. Will you tell people about your community and what you do, please? Because it's really rad. Yeah. So I have a community of women who are deconstructing religious programming, but also cultural programming. So like we've talked about, I'm really excited because this is one of the first opportunities that I've had to um, talk about deconstruction as uh, something that can affect us in all areas of our lives. And I love this um, application to the yoga world. But yes, so the collective is my community of women and um, that I host. And uh, we are on a private platform. It's not Facebook, which I'm really proud of. And it's $8 a month. Um, so yeah, it's, we meet on zoom once a month and we have a workshop this month. We're talking about deconstructing patriarchy and, um, we always talk about research and then we have breakout rooms. So there's an opportunity for sharing because I always want everyone to walk away from these zooms feeling seen and known. And then we spend time, you know, as any good yoga or meditation teacher would do having a collective experiential practice. So usually that looks like some kind of creative meditation. And um, I have a guest speaker typically every month. Uh, Usually they're authors in the deconstruction um, world or in the deconstruction community. And um, let's see, I always make a playlist for everyone, which I am a huge music fan. And we read a book together. Um, every month. So this month we're reading Abby Wambach's Wolfpack, nice. which is one of my favorite books because um, I'm really passionate about re-envisioning women's communities because um, there's so much toxicity and unhealth in women's communities in the church, but also in yoga, in my opinion. Yes. And I love Abby's book that really helps us to re-envision what women's communities can be like And I think of it as like a little manifesto for my community. I'm wanting to rewrite the script for how we can engage in community with each other as women. That's just so awesome. And part one of the reasons I love that you're talking about this here on a yoga podcast is that there is a phrase that is always in the back of us yoga folks brains when we see something that isn't going well. And the phrase is only in yoga. And I hear Mm. so many people say, oh, yeah, only in yoga would fill in the blank. Not only in yoga, not only in yoga. We are not in a vacuum. We can take smart things that people are doing outside the yoga space and apply those to what we are doing inside the yoga space. Exactly like smart women who are helping other women deconstruct, we can apply that to the yoga space. So I'm so excited 
to be able to share this, have a term for it. I had no language for it before. Like, like it's a word, it's a thing. I know it's so liberating just to have language for your your lived experience. Okay. So before we go, will you tell me one self-care tip that you do to keep yourself going throughout the day? Oh yeah. For me, it's dancing. I mean, I, I am a really on this journey of embodiment as we all are, um, in yoga, but I think for me, dancing is just a space where (laughs) I think of Elaine from Seinfeld, but there really aren't any rules, (laughs) you know, it's like whatever you want to do. And just this morning I was driving home from somewhere and I'm dancing in my car and people are looking at me and I'm like, I don't really care. And then, you know, I come home and I I turn the music on and um, it's a moment where I can just be myself and it helps me to strip away all of the expectations of others, even if I'm in my car and people are looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, dancing does it for me, but I'm, I'm a huge, like I, I love to say my love language is music. So that's it for me. Super simple. Nice. Okay. So before we go, last thing, tell everybody where to find you. Okay. So you can find me at drkatieblake.com. That's dr doctor. Um, I'm on all the socials at Dr. Katie Blake. And um, yeah, if you're interested in checking out our community, it's drkatieblake.community. So your website's beautiful, by the way, even if you just want to tap into it, like your website's legit gorgeous. (laughs) So beautiful. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming today. Check out drkatieblake.com. And thank you. This has been a real treat. Rebecca, you are just incredible. And um, <laughs> like the word that you used before we started recording is badass. I mean, you were just a badass. And so Enneagram you. 8, I love Enneagram 8 women. And you are an Enneagram 8 badass. And this has been so much fun. So just yes. thank you. The pleasure is all mine. <laughs> Thank you, Katie, so much for coming on the podcast. Make sure you check out her website, drkatieblake.com, to see all the amazing things that she's doing, including her very reasonable community that she has hosted for women who are in the process of deconstructing. Now, one final note. Last week, I posted a reel that um, for my small audience on Instagram actually got quite a few views, and it was... A real talking about how yoga teachers should be practicing yoga in their sweatpants. We need to be practicing for ourselves. And I think one of the things we can do is not dress up in all of our yoga teacher outfit things while we are in practice, that our practice is for ourselves. So I posted what is possibly the ugliest, tackiest yoga reel ever. And it's just me shaking on one leg, shifting around, doing yoga in sweatpants and a a pajama t-shirt. So I want you to do the same. We need to take back some of the conversation about how we all look in the yoga industry. So tag me at Rebecca Sebastian Yoga and use the hashtag yoga in sweatpants. I will see you next week with a conversation with the lovely Colleen Jorgensen, who's going to talk about yoga and pain care 
which is her specialty, as well as how she sort of created her own job based on all these different certifications and degrees that she got together so that she's creating the profession just exactly right for her. So don't forget to catch that conversation and I'll see you next week.